The new sponsor for the month of May for both the Shepherd's Crook and the Fruitful and Fearless podcast is Reformation Coffee Company. Reformation Coffee is a small specialty coffee roaster in southwest Missouri that puts time and attention into high-quality, fresh-roasted coffee all to the glory of God. They seek to glorify God and point to His glory through a company that provides coffee to the best of their ability. Their tagline is, Reform Your Coffee Experience, because they want you to know that your coffee can be better. They are also happy to provide a superior alternative to that of the God-hating coffee giants who don't care about you. Right now, they offer three origins of whole bean coffee, Guatemalan, Brazilian, and Ethiopian. They recently started offering five-pound bulk coffee beans for churches. Email them at reformationcoffee at gmail.com for more details. You can visit them at reformationcoffee.com, on Instagram at Reformation Coffee Company, and on Twitter at Reformed Coffee. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you all are doing great today. Before we get into this conversation with a special guest today, I want to give a shout out to Reformation Coffee. I want to thank you guys so much for being the sponsor for the month. And if you're not aware of Reformation Coffee, just follow the link in the show notes. So you want to go and get some coffee from there. And it is a coffee company that loves you, that loves Christians, wants to see the kingdom of God advance. And they don't hate you like Starbucks and a lot of other companies. So check out Reformation Coffee. All right, today I am talking with Dr. Tom Askell, and I'm super excited about this conversation. Tom, how are things going down there today in Florida? Oh, doing great. Thanks. Uh, It's uh, getting into our rainy season, so we're not only hot, we're now also wet. Well, that sounds a little miserable. (laughs) Yeah, this is not the time of year we advertise. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. Well, why don't we go ahead and pray, and we're going to get into this. But we're going to go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and uh, we're going to get right into our content for today. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. Lord, I thank you for Tom and all that you're doing through him and through founders and even this possibility of the SBC presidency. Lord, I ask for blessing upon him and his family. God, I, I thank you for the, the good that's come my way, our family's way, our church's way from what you've done through him and through founders and just just everything. And so we just thank you for for all that you're doing. Lord, we lift up the SBC. We want to see not just a conservative resurgence again. We want to see just an attention to your word again, where where people care about what you have to say. And Lord, we pray that you would stir that in the SBC far and wide, uh, that people would return to your word. And uh, we trust God that you're going to do work, even lead this conversation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Almost everybody listening into this is familiar with you. And if they've been listening to my show for a while, we've had you on before. So instead of doing the typical biography stuff or the 10,000 foot view of your life and ministry, um, why don't you just go ahead and bring us up to speed? Let's get right into it. You're running for the SBC presidency. You've been nominated and accepted it. Why are you jumping into the ring with everything that's been going on for the last few years into the possibility of being the SBC president. Yeah, well, I get that question a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting process that God has used to bring me to this point or to the point where I'd agreed to be nominated. 
um, conversations like this I've had over the years with people that said, Hey man, you know, we'd like to nominate you, or we think you ought to consider this. And, uh, I never really took it seriously. I just didn't, didn't have to give it two thoughts because it's never been anything that I've aspired to. It's not anything that, uh, you know, I feel like that I've got to do. And I do believe there's people that are far more qualified than me that could do this. But over the last six months or so, uh, conversations began to get more intense and people I really respect were saying, don't dismiss this. Let's have a serious conversation about it. And uh, as it began to, to grow more and more serious with more and more people, I talked to my wife about it and, you know, we've always laughed about the prospect in the years past, but she said, you know, I'm open to that. And <clears throat> so with that, I talked to the elders of our church and I said, Hey brothers, there's some folks coming to me and uh, pretty serious about this. And they said, absolutely not. You know, we, we had a meeting at one of our regular elders meetings on Monday and we just have wonderful things going on in the church. I mean, it's, it's a great time in our church right now, but it, with blessings come challenges and we've got lots of challenges in front of us right now. And, and the language that one of them uses, we need all hands on deck. You know, we just can't see you uh, doing one more thing. And I was all fine with that. That didn't bother me at all. I thought this is great. Well, we, that was on Monday on Sunday, we had a couple other people speak into the situation uh, to our elders, one in particular. And so the elders said, well, let's take some time to think, pray fast and see what God would do. Well, that was Sunday night. By Wednesday, when we met together again, one by one, those men without consulting with each other came into the, the meeting room and uh, each one of them individually said, you know what, in, in thinking, praying about this, we believe that you should do this. We think that this is the time for you to step forward. And I was blown away uh, by that, but that was just confirmation to me that, okay, if the men I trust most in leading the church, I serve with them as shepherding this flock, my wife, uh, if they are fine with that and agree on it. And then these, these other people whose, whose wisdom I trust and judgment I trust, and they were prevailing upon me, I thought, okay, you know, then I, I'm willing to do it. I don't know all that that looks like, but I'm willing to be nominated. And, um, you know, some of the arguments that were used with me that carried weight is, you know, Tom, you've been writing about talking about things in the SBC that need attention for a long time. You've been putting your finger on problems. You've addressed cultural issues within the SBC. Uh, why would you not do something about it? Why, if given the opportunity, why wouldn't you serve Southern Baptist in this way? So uh, I don't know what God will do. I don't know if he wants me to be SBC president or not, but I, I'm confident that, um, that to this point, I believe I've tried to honor him and I, the people I trust the most are in agreement on it. So, you know, I'm comf comfortable, confident in being in this position right now and going to Anaheim. We'll just see what the Lord will do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Let me just give you a question and, and ask you to give a response to this. And I've heard this, I mean, I don't know, for a year or so now, and what we've seen for the last 150 years, and Spurgeon dealt with this in some of the early stages in this, uh, with this of, of German higher scholarship and textual criticism in from Germany coming into Great Britain. And there's always this, uh, liberalism has this invasive, uh, they're like an invasive species or something, and they get into everything. And, and what ends up happening is it just rots from the inside out. And what we see is 
institutions get turned over, conservatives get the boot, or conservatives walk, and and then liberals end up with the pensions, with the buildings, and with the with everything. What would your response be to those who just say, "Man, separatism is the answer. There's never been something this big. It's so big that's been preserved that conservative voices can stand and and have any sort of influence. Why not just separate, be separate, and go the Spurgeon route, or uh, do you feel like you're doing the Spurgeon route up to a point, and maybe maybe down the road there there could be um, you know a solution with with the separatists you know being the the, the answer, but why not just separate? Mm-hmm. Why why fight when we've got all these examples for 150 years of institutions and big I mean organizations that have just gone the liberal way? Yeah, well, it's a great question, and certainly history is on the side of those that make that case. Uh, I've got a good friend who said he was told years ago, and he's been involved in uh, Christian education institutions at the highest level. And he said that he was told years ago that you can count on uh, a Christian college, a Christian seminary, Christian organization having about a 50-year shelf life, and that after that, you just need to realize you're going to have to start over. And it is certainly true that Christian entities, all institutions drift left. Nothing ever drifts right. You get jerked to the right. You have to come back to to sanity, and you always drift away from that. And that's inevitable, and and that's part of living in a fallen world. We're not in utopia, and yet we're not alone in this fallen world. We're in the world that God himself created, that he himself rules, and he is the God who raises the dead. And so you, you look at a dead man, you, you walk with those disciples from Friday and Saturday, and you think all is lost, there's no hope. But God was doing his deepest work during those dark hours, and he revealed it by bringing his son back from the dead. And so the, the fact that we have the God who raises people from the dead is our God uh, keeps me from being discouraged. It keeps me from uh, being depressed or pessimistic. I, I believe that God can do wonderful things beyond what we can ask or think. I know every Christian believes that, but I don't have a problem believing that in looking at the, the lay of the land in the evangelical world in America today and in the SBC. I've also studied revivals, and the history of revivals breeds a lot of encouragement and hope to pray. I mean, man, there were dark days. You read some of uh, Jonathan Edwards' descriptions of what was going on before the revival came. You read about what was taking place on the Western frontier and some of those uh, those little hamlets and towns that were west of the Alleghenies where there was no law, and people just were fearful for their lives. I mean, there, there was one place, one of my favorite stories is from Cumberland Valley. It's in the Kentucky area now. And uh, it was no law west of the Alleghenies. And so there was an actual gunfight between the rogues and the regulators and the rogues won. The regulators got driven out. Well, revival came a few years later and just completely transformed that region of the land. And so I know God can do that. And I, I pray that he will do that. And whether he does it or not, I believe that I need to operate on the basis of knowing that he can, pleading that he will, doing what he's called me to do with whatever responsibility and stewardship he's entrusted to to me with the light and the strength that he gives. And so, uh, you know, will, will good things come? Will the SBC be able to 
to uh, change the direction the way that I think we need to? I don't know. I don't know, but I know God can do it. Yeah. And I know that the hardest step in the process is the first one. And so if he's pleased to use me in that hardest step, well, then uh, I, I want to be used in that way. So I'm not arguing with the people that say, man, you wouldn't join, but our bad this polity gives us opportunity that a lot of uh, our Christian friends and Presbyterian denominations, Methodist denominations don't have. And so uh, Grace Baptist Church that I pastor is as independent and autonomous as any church that's not affiliated with any association. Right. So we don't, we're not infringed upon by our uh, voluntary participation in the SBC, and we'll continue to try to leverage that to promote spiritual health and godliness the best ways we can. And right now, again, it just seems like God's positioned me to try to do that by being nominated as president. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. Your ministry, in a lot of ways, through founders, has been devoted to the recovery of the gospel, but and the reformation of churches, and a call back to doctrines, Calvinistic doctrines, Calvinistic Baptist roots of the Southern Baptist Convention, and even looking to things like things like the Abstract of Principles, or, or the London Baptist Confession, the Philadelphia Confession, the Hampshire Confession. There, there's things that we look back to in the history of um, of Baptist life that have been long forgotten, and. 10 years ago, the battle you were facing was with guys you're now standing in the trenches with. Have you been surprised right. to see your Arminian brothers and sisters or your non-Calvinist brothers and sisters and men that have, I mean, vehemently fought against you, seeing you doing something bad or wrong that now are joining arms with you and saying, we're in the fight of our lives. And there's others that don't even see it. They yeah. think we're just talking about, you know, the same old kind of dust-ups that happen within the SBC. And now you're finding yourself in the trenches and united. It's just amazing for me to see. How's that been for you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's been interesting, but I have to say it's been a blessing too. And, and God has chastened me uh, through this. I, I was standing in line to speak at a microphone last year in Nashville. And right behind me was Tim Rogers. And uh, nobody would ever confuse me with being uh, somebody who's not a Calvinist. Nobody would ever confuse Tim with being a Calvinist. And so we're, we're standing there being polite to each other. And finally, I turned and looked at him. I said, does this feel weird to you? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it is kind of strange. And so people are texting me saying, man, what are you doing standing there with Tom Askell, you know? Uh, and, and Tim and I have become friends. I mean, we were never really enemies, but we just crossed swords a lot over the issues you just discussed, and yet, and yet, we stand together on these issues. And uh, one of the one of the disorienting things to me through all of these things that have happened over the last four or five years is that brothers that I have agreed with on issues like Calvinism, I find myself disagreeing with now on issues like critical race theory, intersectionality, critical theory, queer theory, uh, you know, though nobody would, when push comes to shove, would say, oh, no, 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 we think these are all good things. They just do not see the issues the way I see them. They don't see yeah. what's happening the way that I think I see things happening. And many of my non-Calvinist friends do see them. And so there's been a, there's been a, a, a shifting of coalitions that has happened. You know, Vody Balkum's mm -hmm. book, Fault Lines, yeah, uh, makes this clear. Yeah, it's a great book. 
And he, he addresses it from the standpoint of the first part of what I just said, that people that were together for the gospel, you know, we're together on all these good reasons. And now then with these ideologies that have crept in and begun to erode the foundations, we find ourselves on different sides of the discussion. So one of the questions I've gotten several times over the last few weeks, and usually it comes from, I guess all the times it's come from people that are not Calvinists in the SBC. They say, you know, Tom, if, if you get elected president, are you going to appoint only Calvinists? And uh, my response is, look, you know, no, I mean, I, I will appoint people who see these most important issues the, the right way. And yeah. there are some Calvinists I would not appoint, you know, so, right. and there's some people that I've grown to know and love that see these things clearly. And I, I've said to a couple of my non-Calvinist friends, if God gives us the grace and the strength, and, and he works in such a way that we're able to see the SBC make a true change of direction, then by his grace in five, six, seven years, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. We'll sit down and we'll start debating Calvinism again, <laughs> yeah, and I'll be right. happy to do it. But hopefully I'll do it more chastened and more humble uh, because one of the things that's always been true that's become increasingly true in this is that we really do agree. I agree with my non-Calvinist friends on so much, you know, the deity of Christ, the Trinity of God, uh, justification by grace through faith, all those things. We have disagreements, and I'm not pretending that we don't disagree. They're not pretending that we don't disagree. But man, you know, when you're when you're caught in a forest fire, you're running together. All the animals run together, yeah. uh, the prey and the predators, because they have something that they're running toward and running from. And, and I feel that similar kind of unity right now uh, in a wonderful way. And it's good. It's a right thing. I hope I don't lose that regardless of what happens over the next 10 years. Yeah. Amen. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. I watched the FBC Keller video, and the gentlemen on the stage, although they seem like nice guys, one of the things that I've been very, very helped by you and your ministry, and one of the things that came up in the last year was how you spoke of uh, last year's candidates saying that they're all conservative voices and some people wanted you to come out stronger and say, no, there's better and worse candidates and there is winners and losers here. If we get one person voted in versus another person voted in, uh, one would be really, really bad and the other would be a lot better. And they wanted you to come out stronger. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I would have been one of those. I didn't uh, voice that. This is just the first time I've even talking to you about that. I was, and I'm not asking you to be critical of Bart Barber or of Robin mm -hmm. Hardaway. However, there seems to be a stark difference between your understanding of what's going on in the SBC and those two gentlemen and what they see or don't see happening in the SBC. And from just that conversation alone, I don't uh, have all the information about those guys, but they seem like good, good men that love Jesus. I saw that at one point, Bart Barber was big uh, saying good things about Russ Moore, which makes me very, very suspicious if you're saying anything positive about Russ Moore. But from that interaction, things seem to be good. Um, however, the whole issue with the SBC and like critical race theory and race reconciliation, all that kind of stuff. One of the things that CRT does, it complicates what the Bible makes simple. All right. We're, I used to be a part of the Sojourn Network, which was a part of Acts 29, Daniel Montgomery, Mike Cosper, those guys. And we had to leave. I was, we were just totally embarrassed of Mike Cosper and 
there were some bad, bad things happening there that we had to just step out. It was like, this isn't for us anymore. But when we were down at one of our last retreats, we were singing about the cross in the room of a bunch of people that would have disagreed on all this kind of stuff. And there were black dudes, white dudes, Asian dudes, just all these guys and, and their wives. And we were singing about Jesus. And the, when you're singing about Jesus, there's full unity. It's like, man, this is, this is what the Bible, I mean, this is what the cross does. It unifies. It's not that complicated. I mean, one dude's black, I'm white. Who cares? Like, we're united around the cross. I mean, what's it matter? And uh, it's so simple. It really is. And yet the CRT stuff so complicates it. And I, I see you as a man that sees through the, the, the nonsense. These guys seem like company men who don't see what the big deal is. And again, I'm not trying to say to, for you to say negative things. Um, however, yeah. do you think these other gentlemen or a lot of the SBC really know what's going on and see the, the issues and how cataclysmic it would be if we continue on the path that we have been on? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I'm not going to say anything negative about uh, Bart or Robin. I've just gotten to know Robin. He's a delightful man. He served as a missionary for many years. I mean, he's a hero in that regard. Bart and I have been friends for a long time. Um, we just, we have different takes. We have different understandings and maybe a different vision as to what ought to be done uh, for the SBC. And so I'll, I'll let those brothers speak for themselves. They have spoken, they speak very well about what they want to see done. I see things that, uh, that I believe need to be changed. I, I think that we are in a place where we need to wake up and we need to wake up uh, strongly, clearly, and quickly because we're a part of a culture. I, this, this is what I, I don't think people understand as clearly as we should. We're a part of a culture that um, has shifted radically over the last 20 years or so and my fear is that many conservative evangelicals still think we're living 20 years ago, and we just don't realize the way that the battle lines have changed. This has been played out recently. I don't know if you've kept up with Tim Keller's comments and trying to talk about abortion, you know, as uh, we know it's evil, but the Bible doesn't tell us how to try to eliminate this evil. And so you can do it politically different ways. And I mean, it's just the same old kind of third way stuff that he's done for a long time that quite honestly, 25 years ago, 30 years ago was more plausible right. than it is today. And so James Wood wrote a, an article uh, in responding to that about his own evolution and dealing with Kellerisms and Kellerites and the, the Keller approach to things, uh, published it in First Things. And then he got excoriated by David French and others. And, and Rod Dreher just wrote an article, I think yesterday I read, maybe this morning, and I thought Rod nailed it in mm. terms of you know, he loves david french they're, they're dear friends but it's it's like there no david is dead wrong on this the world has changed and and by that we don't mean that suddenly you know, we're in a, a a different situation fundamentally than we human race has ever been in i mean since genesis 3 we've all right. had to deal with the realities of sin and brokenness in the world god created but in terms of how that sin manifests itself how the principalities and powers are operating uh, through the different institutions and uh, cultural milieu that we find ourselves in. Yes, uh, things have radically changed and we see it. I mean, people are waking up all across the nation. Yeah. You have housewives going to school board protesting. You're not going to do this. 
And I don't think that Christian leaders, I don't think enough Christian leaders have been awakened to the reality of, yeah, what's out there has come in here too. We see it in our churches. We see it in our institutions. Just what you described, we sing about the cross. We're one. And then we got to sit down and we got to have these diversity and uh, equity and inclusiveness talks and trainings about, um, you know, in, internal bias and things like that. And, and there's separation that comes and problems. Everything's problematized and it's problematized in a way that the gospel can't touch it. Right. So that's one of my grave concerns about how race is being discussed and sex is being discussed and, and genders being discussed and authorities being discussed. The way that those things are problematized, the gospel can't help. The only thing that can help is a political solution, and that's what's being advocated. And I want to come back and say, brothers, wake up. <laughs> we The problem's the same. You know, we've sinned yeah. against our creator, but there's a savior. And if we look to Christ, we can be reconciled to God and to one another in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, uh, you know, I would just put it this way. I believe the Southern Baptist Convention is poised to make some positive changes. We need to have a course correction because I think we've drifted. And I don't, I don't put it in terms of conservatism, liberalism, yeah. because the people okay. that I'm concerned about, they've all signed the documents, right. they signed yeah. the Baptist right. faith message. Yeah. They call themselves inerrantists, but I just don't, I think they're kind of asleep at the wheel uh, at some point, you know? So yeah. I, I divide it up this way, not just SBC. I think some conservative, some Christian leaders, um, they are instrumental in ushering these things in. And I would see Tim Keller like that. So certainly Russell Moore mm -hmm. like that, but then there are others I think that have been complicit because they've let, they've stood by and let it happen. Yeah. And either way, either way, they failed as leaders mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they need to, uh, need to have better leaders at the helm right now right. than either those are instrumental or those are complicit. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you had talked about in that interview was the distrust from the messengers to the stage and how something needs to happen to where there isn't this us versus them thing happening on the stage. And, you know, we know about the Supreme Court. Actually, yeah, a lot of people don't know about the Supreme Court issues that were going on with Kevin Azell and with Russ Moore and the deal that happened up in Maryland and all that kind of stuff. And and this idea that that Russ Moore and Kevin Azell were trying to put forth, which we are a hierarchical system or a tr traditional denomination, yeah. which we are not. And, and they full well know that we are not. And there's some basic ethics that seem to be missing from the stage that I'm hopeful if you get voted in, you will reinstate. One example, Kevin Azell used to pastor a church in my town when I was in high school here in Marion, Illinois. I live in Carbondale, Illinois now. It's the southern, southern part of Illinois. And from the stage, there was a messenger uh, that was addressing the stage and asking and pleading. And I, he said, I've gone through every single place and, and I've checked all the boxes and made all the phone calls and written all the emails. And I cannot get answers about the financial salary packages for those in the North American Mission Board. You know, if Kevin Azell makes a million dollars a year, then, okay, then that should be public. And he was not able to get public answers for questions that we are supposed to be able to get answers for. Now, with stuff like that, how are you going to go about restoring some sort of trust from those that are elected and nominated and appointed to the messages that are coming? And we've got all this stuff and infighting happening on the internet and on Twitter, and it's all a dumpster fire. How are you going to go about actually restoring some sort of trust where if Tom says something, 
Well, I believe it because the man he is and what he's done, how are you going to restore some sort of trust between the institutions? Like right now, we don't give to the cooperative program because we don't trust the cooperative program. We don't trust hardly anything that's going on the SBC. So we only have two messengers and we're not given to any financial or any of the, of the schools right now or anything. We just don't trust anybody in the SBC. How would you go about restoring trust for churches like ours? Yeah, well, I would hope to be trustworthy and uh, tell the truth. And when I make mistakes to own the mistakes and, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that I do that perfectly, but, but I do believe that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and that Christians ought to be quick repenters as well as believers. And, and we teach that in our church. I try to live that way. And so I would ask people to hold me accountable. You know, man, if, if you see me mess up, if you see me uh, say one thing, do another, or go back on my word somehow, call me on it. Because if, if you show me my sin, you've helped me because I have a savior. I don't have to fear condemnation. Jesus has died for my sins. The president doesn't have a great deal of official authority. There's only three committees you appoint the people to, and um, then you get to sit ex officio on the various boards of trustees, which is a good thing because you can speak into those situations, and then you moderate the next year's meeting. But unofficially, unofficially, I mean, the, the president can help set a tone, and I hope help set a culture in the SBC of transparency and accountability. Uh, one of the things I've been harping on for years is the institutions and agencies belong to the churches. And the, they, they are accountable to the churches. The trustees are supposed to be holding them in trust or accountable to the churches. And yet the trustees don't often do that or often don't do that. And I know this firsthand. I've talked to trustees. I've talked to people inside, inside of our institutions and agencies. And very often, you know, I've gotten the impression like I'm a troublemaker because I ask questions. You know, how dare you? ask questions. Well, no Southern Baptist should feel that way. No church should feel that way. We own those institutions. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've talked, I've talked to SBC leaders and entity leaders and chairmen and trustees, and I've had these kind of conversations with them. Perhaps if, if I were to become the Southern Baptist president, that my words might carry a little bit more weight mm -hmm. uh, with those conversations. And I could encourage our brothers to, uh, to not try to hide from the churches and the messengers that the churches send to hold them accountable and ask some questions, but to be upfront. One thing too, Jared, that I would call for, and I have called for, is a forensic audit yeah. of all yeah. of our entities. I don't think we need that every year, but we need it right now. We need a forensic audit to give us a baseline of where's the money going? How is our stewardship uh, being invested rightly. I mean, we're coming up on a hundred years of the cooperative program in 2025. What better time than a hundred year anniversary to kind of pull back whatever curtains have developed over the years and say, no, 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 look, brothers, sisters, churches, look at how your investments have been stewarded. And no doubt we're going to find some problems. And when we do, that's okay. We have a savior. We repent, we get up, we start over it doesn't have to be an indictment or uh, some kind of uh, bloodletting because we find problems. I mean, there might be some things. I don't. I hope not. I mean, maybe there's some criminal things going on. If so, well, then call the police and let's deal with it the way God's told us to deal with those things. But a forensic audit would go a long way to building trust, to answering questions, to removing doubts 
and accusations. Some accusations, I'm sure, are completely baseless. Well, mm-hmm. uh, we can demonstrate that by just opening the books and having uh, those who know how to make sure we're operating the way we say and operate, um, make the determination and, and make that statement to Southern Baptist churches. So calling for transparency, trying to engage in conversation with the right kind of, of uh, attitude. You know, I mean, we don't get to quit being Christians because we're disagreeing with each other. Right. And right. one of the things we need to recover is how to have good, sharp, even hard conversations uh, as brothers that love Christ and love each other and are willing to uh, to hold each other accountable in the way that we talk and, and what mm-hmm. we talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's really good. You know, if that Randy Adams publication is even half accurate that was presented last year at the annual meeting, mm-hmm. that caused just an alarm for our elders. And it was shocking to read some of that stuff. And mm-hmm. if that stuff is, you know, again, half true, then lifting the rock up that forensic edit or uh, audit and people being able to see, yes, these, this is the way the money has been spent for churches like us. Mm -hmm. We would love that stuff to be exposed if, if that's a reality. And I think many churches would like that as well. And that would restore a lot of, a lot of trust. Now here's the deal, Tom, even if you get elected for our church, we still may leave. We still may leave the SBC. And we were pretty much at that point. And we're kind of like, we got the, the turn neck right now thinking, oh, wait, wait, if, if Dr. Askell gets elected president, uh, could this signal a change in the right direction? Uh, it would seem so. W.A. Criswell years ago preached a sermon that kind of solidified from what I understand or codified the conservative resurgence, so whether we live or die or whatever the title was uh, in 80, whatever it was, 1980-something. And Seems like we're ripe again for that kind of moment. And maybe we'll get another, maybe God will give us another 50 years as a denomination of, of faithfulness. Maybe God will give us another decade or, or maybe it's just time for the SBC to, you know, fizzle out. It could, I mean, that's not the end of the world. The church keeps marching on. Right. Uh, what's it going to take beyond you? Let's just say you get elected. What's it going to take beyond you for things to continue to go in the right direction? Yeah, well, we're going to have to elect presidents who agree with these concerns and agree with how they need to be addressed for probably the next six to 10 years, at least. Southern Baptist polity is designed to allow for churches by virtue of sending messengers to the annual business meeting to change the direction, but it can't happen overnight. It can't happen instantly. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's, that's ultimately a good thing because it, it requires deliberation, it requires time, it requires energy and investment of uh, your resources for churches to be able to do this. So the president gets to appoint the committee on committees. The committee on committees appoints the committee on nominations. That committee on nominations makes recommendations to next year's convention messengers gathered for the convention as to who should fill the uh, vacancies in the boards of trustees of all our institutions and agencies. And so every year it rotates, you know, there's no, we never have a hundred percent vacancy in our boards of trustees on any institution. It's a rotating system. And so because of that, you've got to do it year after year, after year, after year. Well, just think about how clunky that is. Committee on committees, they, they exist for just a few weeks out of the year. And then they appoint a committee on committee, committee on nominations, committee on committees done. Committee on nominations, they go and find people to recommend to the convention 
for um, being trustees, and then their work is done. And then the trustees serve those terms, which are usually you know, four years. Uh, you can get two of them. I mean, it varies a little bit on some of the other, some specific boards, but it, it's basically two four-year terms that trustees can serve. Well, if you've got a fourth of the trustees that are coming on new in one year, that's a good thing. Assuming that the committee on committee does its job well, the committee on nominations does its job well, then you get the right kinds of trustees that say, hey, we need to talk about these things. We believe that we ought to have more transparency and we had a, a, a different attitude toward the churches that own us as entities and we're going to hold the entity in, in trust for the churches. But that's going to take time because you've got a very small minority of trustees now. I, I believe not all, of, I think our trustees are, we have, I think we have better people in place on our trustee boards now than we did say in 1978 okay. before the conservative resurgence. Uh, I think what we need to do right now is educate. I believe we really do have uh, people who love the Lord Jesus and they just haven't been trained. They haven't been awakened to see the realities that are out there and they haven't understood fully their responsibility. I mean, quite honestly, I've talked to a lot of our trustees or, or some, I've talked to some trustees and they just give me the impression that their job is to protect the institution and the agency from people like me mm -hmm. rather than to hold the institution and agency in right. trust right. for churches like the one I serve. And so if we can flip that and help our trustees understand their job and then to see and think about things that, that warrant attention because there are concerns, there are questions, there are problems. Uh, you, know, you can't deny those things. And then to address them in a way that, that honors the churches. Um, I think that we could see a turnaround and, you know, maybe as soon as six years or so, but it's, it's going to take showing up at the business meeting two days a year, year after year after year for several years and yeah. electing the right man as president who sees these things and will be committed to doing these things. Yeah, that's good. Well, Dr. Asko, I appreciate you taking the time. And I know the last couple of years, the ministry the Founders has been doing for years has faced probably more controversy, more difficulty, more fractures and fissures of relationships than the previous, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. And I'm just guessing here, but I'm thankful yeah. for the, the ministry and the faithfulness. And uh, brother, I just want to encourage you to keep going, keep moving forward. And, you know, even if you don't get elected as president, there's ton, you know, this, there's tons of good work to do. God's going to continue to use you and uh, founders in the church. And, you know, it's not the end of the world, the world and the church, the gates of hell will not prevail. All right. Like every, there's a bunch of stuff behind Amen. the gates of hell. And we, the SBC is not the church. It's a part of the church. And fortunately, we're going to be moving forward and marching forward. And we're trusting, you know, I'm post-millennial, have been for a couple of years. I'm, I'm a little bit of a bandwagoner, bandwagoner and hoping that uh, that you'll maybe join the team at some point. But uh, there's a whole lot of things behind the gates of hell. And whether you win or lose, and we're hoping that you win, we're trusting that the purposes of God are continuing to march forward. And so keep your head up, brother, and try to have some joy through the battles and, uh, and you know, walk or something, man. Make sure that heart is healthy during this season and, uh, uh, you know, eat right and all that kind of good yeah. stuff. But, uh, but anyways, we just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Hey, listen, if people want more information, make it, make the appeal to come to Anaheim. My wife and I will be there. And I know that there's people on the line because it's so expensive. It's, I mean, we're paying $1,400 for three nights at a hotel there. It's just crazy. Make a, an appeal to people to come 
And then tell us about Founders Ministry and everything else that you got going on as well. Yeah. Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in North America largest missionary sending organization in the world. We train one third of all seminary students in North America. It matters. I mean, everything you said is true. SBC can die. Kingdom of God won't miss a beat. We'll continue on. But we've got a great stewardship, a great opportunity, a weighty stewardship. If we're going to be Southern Baptist, we ought to try to make the SBC the best that we possibly can. And you can't do that if you don't show up. So you got to show up. And I know it's hard. I, I talked to a pastor or a correspondent with a pastor from Mississippi that is taking their mini bus. They're filling it up. They're charging people a hundred bucks a seat to pay for gas. They're driving out there to vote and then driving back. Wow. I mean, that's hard. That's hard to do. I mean, people sleeping in their cars. I've heard about some pastors saying they're driving out there. They can't afford to uh, get a hotel room. So they're sleeping in their cars so that they can be there. To vote. I've heard of other people saying, hey, we want to help folks. If you if you know people that want to go, uh, we'll help defer some of their expenses. And, and I'm grateful for all those efforts because it just does, it won't happen. God can do it and he will have to do it. And certainly if I get elected, it will be an act of God. There'll be no doubt about that. But the way he will do it, given our polity, is by having people like you and me show up. So I would just plead with, if you're a Southern Baptist and you're concerned about the convention, then bite the bullet, do what you got to do, get to Anaheim in order to vote so that we can change their direction. Uh, otherwise, there, there's, there's not going to be any hope. This is the way God will do it. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple. It's just hard. And I would encourage you to do the hard thing for the sake of your children and your grandchildren. And let's see what the Lord might do as we spend our lives uh, in trying to uh, to preserve and to recover things that can be wonderfully useful in his kingdom. If you want to know more about me, uh, you, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Tom Askell at Twitter or Thomas Askell, I think on Instagram and um, Tom Askell on founders. Um, our church is truegraceofgod.org. It's our website. See all the stuff we're doing there. We've got a lot of materials there. Founders is founders.org. The Institute of Public Theology is instituteofpublictheology.org org, I think, or yeah, org or com. I think it's org as well. Uh, we got a lot going on and uh, I'd welcome conversations. If there's anything I can do for you personally, let me know. It's, uh, might not be able to get to it right away, but I'll do my best to try to respond to you. You can just write to me. All those websites have emails where you can contact me directly. And, um, I'd love to serve you any way I can, man. I'm grateful for you. Grateful for this podcast and for your investment in pastors and uh, glad to be a part of the program today. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. We've been talking to Dr. Tom Askell. Tom, thanks again, brother. You bet. Thank you so much for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. If you want more information about the ministry, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co.